Every word of God is pure, and all Scripture has been given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our instruction in righteousness. A portion of Swarm's the basis for our meditation this day is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. For even though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war in the way the sinful flesh does. Certainly, certainly the weapons of our warfare are not those of the flesh, but weapons made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. We tear down thoughts such as all arrogance that rises up against the knowledge of God, and we make every thought captive so that it is obedient to Christ. So far, our text. Dear fellow redeemed, in Christ Jesus, who as our great Redeemer has made possible reformations, so that we are now reformed and move from the kingdom of death and darkness into the kingdom of light and life. Grace and peace be unto you. If there is only one God, and there is only one God, and if there's only one Bible, and there is only one Bible, then how come there are so many different churches in the world, and there are many different churches? Well, our topic today gives us an opportunity to talk about that very thing. One God, one Bible, but so many different religions. To understand that, you're going to have to go back and take a look at the war. Now, I'm not talking about the war in the Middle East, which is waging and creating a lot of heartache and suffering for many people. I'm talking about the Great War, the really great, great war, the great war that exists between the forces of evil and God. The devil who hates God, and since his rebellion in heaven has gone at warfare with full warfare with God, the world, which is ignorant of God, doesn't want anything to do with God, and rebels against God, and of course the sinful flesh that's in every single human being that cannot and will not be subject to the law of God. Those three forces are at war against God. But God didn't want to be at war with the human race, so he came up with a plan of salvation. And that plan of salvation involved Christ coming to the world and taking the place of sinners, then taking their death penalty, and then bringing peace between the holy God and sinful mankind. But the devil hates that message. He hates it with all his fiber and being, and so he goes at war against Christ. The world, too, in its darkness, doesn't want to have it doesn't even know it needs a savior and so it goes against Christ and if it goes against Christ we know it will go against the Christian and so the devil has marked out the Christian as a special prey and the world says uh, makes fun of, ridicules, mocks persecutes, hates Christians and of course the sinful flesh while well, it maybe says yeah I can see that Jesus is helpful doesn't want to give all credit to Jesus and wars against Jesus as well. And so that creates the problem. One God, one Bible, but many religions. Our text deals with the topic and helps us to understand more. We pray that the Spirit will bless our study as we are reminded that Reformation is not really a moment in history, but it's the Holy Spirit's daily use of the Word in our own hearts. Verse 3 of our text even though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war in the way the sinful flesh does. 
How does the sinful flesh wage war? Well, it's going to oftentimes look for a weapon. And so uh, the flesh will, or <clears throat> will maybe look for a, a knife, a gun, a sword, a bomb, an aircraft carrier. It'll look for some weapon to wage war. If it doesn't want to use a weapon, physical weapon, it uses the mind and comes up with lines of argument and reasoning and thought process and so forth. And Paul says, we walk in the flesh, we're here in the world, we have our flesh, but we do not wage war in that way. Verse 4, certainly the weapons of our warfare are not those of the flesh. We have different weapons. Verse 4, the weapons that we have are made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. We tear down thoughts. We have a whole different weapon to what we use in the Christian warfare. The weapons are made powerful by God. We're here talking here certainly about the gospel, which is the power of God in salvation. Now, who would think that the gospel could be more powerful than an atomic bomb? But it is. An atomic bomb has a great amount of power to it, and it can create a lot of destruction. But it's the gospel that can create life. No human weapon does that. So we have this gospel, and we're to be using that as the weapon made powerful by God. And then he's done something else. He's come along, and he said, I'll add to this gospel here, I'll add water. We'll put those two together, and we have what we call baptism. And so in the last two weeks here, we've had several families say, come and say, our baby is, has a de birth defect. It's the birth defect of sin. And we need a very powerful weapon to work with our baby. And the powerful weapon is the gospel in baptism. Likewise, many of you next week will take a use, make use of another very powerful weapon, Lord's Supper, where Jesus comes and performs a miracle. And with the bread also puts his body. And with the wine also puts his blood. And gives us this extremely powerful weapon that we're working with. Much more powerful than any rocket or missile. It's a miracle that Jesus says, you don't have to go someplace in the world to see where I died. I will bring to you what, the, what I, the body and the blood that did die for the strength of your faith and for the assurance of the forgiveness of all your sins. And you have this gospel, the power of God and salvation, operating on human hearts. Those are the weapons that are made powerful by God. Those are the weapons that tear down strongholds. The word stronghold here means a fortress, a fort, uh, the enemy headquarters, a prison. God, the gospel is, to, is able to pull down the strongest uh, stronghold of the enemy. We tear down thoughts. It's able to train, take away thoughts. And if you read verse 5, it does all arrogance that rises up against the knowledge of God and Every thought captive, so it's obedient to Christ. Look at the two alls. All arrogance, all cases where human pride tries to take the place of Christ in the heart. Here are the weapons that can dethrone those things. Every thought becomes captive to Christ. We can well understand these things. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my my disciples would fight with swords and clubs and staves, but my kingdom is not from here. Our weapons are also not from here. They're made powerful by God. And that's the that word of God is the weapon which the Holy Spirit uses to
to dethrone everything in our hearts except Jesus and to bring every thought that we have captive to Jesus that's in our head. Let's take a moment to apply this here at Messiah. You heard our Old Testament reading, and I have a lot of, a lot of sympathy for Saul because he was in a tough spot. I mean, really tough spot. You heard about the warfare that broke out between Israel and the Philistines. And you heard how the Philistines mustered some soldiers, and then they sent out a message, we need more soldiers. Meanwhile, the Philistines have 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and thousands and thousands and thousands of soldiers, as much as the sand on the seashore. Saul gets his army together. It was a ragtag army. When the, uh, his army sees the opposing army, some of them just simply quit and go home. And as they get ready, as they see the opposing army, some of them are starting to find hiding places, caves, dugouts, cisterns. They, you heard how they were shaking with fear. So as Saul is assessing the situation, he realizes it is desperate. It, it, is, it is extremely desperate. But he does not want to go into battle without first having the church service. He realizes that he needs God's blessing, and he realizes that his army needs to be reminded God's on our side, and we're going to need to have a church service before we go to war. Well, that's a good idea. Here's where he made his mistake, though, was when he decided he waited and waited and waited for Samuel. And as he waits and waits and waits for Samuel, more and more of his army is getting smaller. He's thinking to himself, I've got to get something going here right away because if I don't, the Philistines are ready to attack. And if I don't get something going right away, they'll just overrun us. So I'm going to have to lead the church service. And there was his act of disobedience. Think of that for a moment. That act of disobedience because he disobeyed the word of God. When you look at the life of Saul, it's a little bit different than the life of, of David. When you look at the life of David, you think about sins, you can think of David, oh my goodness, how could it be possible that the king would go out and commit adultery and then go out and commit murder and then spend some time lying, covering it all up? That was gross wickedness. You look at Saul and you almost think, was that really so bad? And God says, yes, that was very bad because you did not obey my word. And what Saul had forgotten in the whole process was it wasn't the size of his army that was going to give him the victory over that other army. It was going to be God. And that God could do that victory in any number of ways, as Old Testament Bible history shows us. He could give that victory over the enemy army simply by using 300 men. He could give the victory over the enemy army by having an angel appear and destroying thousands and thousands and thousands of the enemy, as he did on one occasion. The ability of God to deliver the children of Israel was limitless. But what Saul needed to do was obey. He did not take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He erred in that situation. And he thought he had a better idea than what God's plan was. He's going he's to have a second incident just a few chapters later where he thinks he's got a better idea than God's idea. But it's a warning to all of us. It's first of all a warning to me as pastor. As pastor, I have to handle the word of God. And as pastor, I have to be sure that I take captive every thought I have to the beings of Christ. In my study, as I'm working through different Bible stories and Bible texts, I come up with ideas. 
Is that idea a good one or not? I've got to test it. I've got to test it and ask God, if this isn't a good idea, you've got to get rid of the idea and make me obedient to Christ. It's a sad state of affairs that most of the controversies in the history of the Christian church arise not from lay people, but they arise from pastors and teachers and professors. A sad state of affairs that somewhere along the line, that pastor, that teacher, that professor did not make his thought obedient to Christ. But he thought his idea of thinking was a better way. It often happens when we try to explain Bible doctrine, when we want to try to explain how can there be a triune God, three persons but only one God. You can't explain that, but when we try to, that's when we get off the track. When you try to explain what's going on in the Lord's Supper, oh, there's a mystery going on there, but when you try to explain it, you get off the track. You can also get off the track as pastor by arrogance, thinking that, oh, the pastor's got all the answers. The pastor's the pastor, and the members are there to serve the pastor, and there's pride that enters in. And then you, get, you have to pray that the Holy Spirit would use that word of God to dethrone all such pride so that Christ alone is on the throne of my heart. But the same thing applies to you as lay people. You cannot go the easy route. There's not a whole lot of difference between the word lay people and lazy people. You cannot go the lazy route and say, well, I, I like the pastor and I have confidence in the pastor, so whatever the pastor tells me, that's what I'm going to believe. You, you can't do that. Because we are subject to getting off the track, you need to keep your eyes on us. You think of that situation when the Apostle Paul came to the town of Berea, and you would think if ever in the history of the church there was one person you could say, Paul's coming to town, you got to go listen to that guy, because whatever he tells you, that's the gospel truth. But those Bereans did something else. When Paul came to town preaching, they went back to their Bibles to search and see, is what he just preached to us God's word or not? Is it really, all, is it really accurate in all points? Later on this afternoon, we have the privilege of having guest speaker Martin Luther preaching to us. But you're going to have to do exactly the same thing. You're going to have to test to see are those words God's word. Because it's so easy for us to get off the track. But if you're going to be doing the testing, then you're going to have to do some Bible study on your own. You're not going to be able to just simply say whatever someone tells me, that's what I believe. You're going to have to be very active in your reading and studying your Bible. We just happen to have right now a good Bible class going on that's reviewing all the basic teachings of the Bible using the book of Psalms. Make use of those kind of programs to stay active in the Word so that you can test and evaluate what's being said. So that you too can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ that's in your heart. And that you too can dethrone all arrogance. It can happen to lay people. And it can happen to clergy as well that we decide we want to do something. I want to do this particular activity. Is it God-pleasing or not? God wants me to be happy. That's a partial truth. God wants me to be happy, but he never wants you to go about something, doing something sinful to get there. So we struggle in our station in life. We struggle working at keeping our marriages going. We struggle at godly parenting. We struggle at working in a God, living in an ungodly world. But all of this isn't just about Messiah. It's pastors, teachers, and lay people. There's more. 
God wants us to go out and be witnesses. We spoke earlier about one God, one Bible, but so many different religions. So you have to take the opportunity to go witness to those people who have been deceived by false prophets, who have succumbed to good words and fair speeches, who have been conned into believing something that's not in the Bible, who have been conned into following a certain individual with certain thoughts and ideas and teachings. And how will you do that? Well, I have to confess that earlier in my Christian life, I thought that the way to do this was to establish the doctrine of verbal inspiration. So in discussing th theology with somebody <clears throat> that was in a different church, I would first go try to go back and explain how the Bible is the Word of God, and you need to given by God, it's verbally inspired, and you need to follow the teachings in the Bible. Then I also would sometimes mix in, <clears throat> you know, maybe if I just got them to believe in the doctrine of creation, then they would say, oh, if God created the world, I better listen to God. So I used those two approaches. And what I was doing was falling into the trap that Paul says, don't fall into this trap. Don't wage war in the way the sinful flesh does. Those were things that were coming out of my head. And I was going to try to reason and argue and convince by logic. But Paul says, no, no, no. Use the weapons that are made powerful by God. Don't use those cheap weapons, those weapons that won't get the job done, but use the weapons that God has designed, the ones that are really powerful, the ones, as the pre-service devotion said, can go right into the heart and divide bone and marrow. Those are the powerful weapons. And so the approach has to be not a sense of arguing someone into the Christian faith or arguing them into certain Bible doctrine, but presenting the gospel, presenting the message of God's Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Savior for that individual. Because it's by faith in Jesus that we finally understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. It's by faith in Jesus that we finally are convinced that all Scripture has been given by inspiration of God. It all goes back to the Gospel, is what we need to use with human beings. But there's a larger group out there, a much larger group, and that's the unchurched. I mentioned to you <clears throat> the war in the Middle East, and it, it has to break hearts to see what's going on over there. But do you realize that in one hour of Bible study here, combine it with the one hour in uh, Bible class, 7,000 of our fellow human beings are dying each hour. In those two hours of Bible study that we're doing this morning, more people will die than have died in all the casualties in the Middle East War. 160,000 of our fellow human beings will die and go into eternity this day, each, each day. There is where the army of Christians are needed. There is where we need to take the warfare and go out and conquer and throw down the strongholds of death and sin. There's where we need to go out and speak the message of the gospel. Sometimes as we go out to those individuals, we're going to have to stop first at the law. We're going to have to stop first and point out the problem with sin and the impending problem of death. There's no preaching quite of the law quite as dramatic as the preaching of death because no one can deny that that's coming and they don't know when and it's terrifying. A good place to start is with death, and then tell them, oh, by the way, <clears throat> here comes a gift from God. 
in Christ Jesus, the gift of eternal life. That's the warfare that we're to be engaged in. None of us are to be on the shelf on the sideline, taking it easy on some R&R. We're not, on, we're not in some truce where the enemy is set. We'll stop our warfare. If you stop your warfare, our enemy will never settle for a truce. The devil, the world, and our flesh. It's going to continue. So we need to be armed with the gospel and equipped and go out and fight the warfare God has put us in. Now, there are things that we can do. One thing that we've got going next week, a week from today, is we've got that seminar on depression. A good opportunity to bring, to mention someone, say, why don't you come with me to this seminar? I think you'll find some help there. I mentioned it to one uh, member of the congregation during the week, and they said, I didn't realize you were having the seminar, but I'm going home and I'm going to get my mom, and we're going to be there next Sunday because she has problems with depression and anxiety. Well, there's a tool that you could use, and in that particular seminar, we're going to be taking up the weapons made powerful by God. You could also do this Bible class that we got going. We've got it going three times on the weekend. It's an opportunity for not only for review, but also to bring someone with you and encourage them. Come along and see. Come see about Jesus. And you can just simply talk to an individual. Simply talk to them. You know enough about Jesus to take up that powerful weapon of the gospel and use it with people who are in need. There's not a single soul you'll see this week that doesn't need the gospel. If you're on the campus of Emmanuel, everybody there needs the gospel. If you're here in our school, everybody needs the gospel. But as you go out into the world, every single one of those people needs the gospel whether they're at work, or in the neighborhood, or down at the library. Every single human being needs the gospel. And now God has equipped us and said, you are my army. You are my soldiers. You are the ones I'm sending forth with weapons made powerful to tearing down strongholds, tearing down thoughts, getting rid of arrogance, and bringing human thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. As soldiers, we sometimes end up missing in action. We sometimes don't speak up when we should. We sometimes aren't looking for the opportunities as we ought. But the amazing thing is, is this is what our kingdom is all about. It's about the forgiveness of sins. It's about failures of human beings, no matter what kind of failures. Failures of Saul with disobedience. Failures of David with adultery and murder. Failures of Christians with sinful thoughts. Failures of Christians when the flesh takes seat in the heart. Failures of Christians in witnessing. This is the kingdom that we are in. This is the kingdom that we serve. And so forgiven and refreshed and recommissioned we go out. And we continue taking up the warfare with that weapon made powerful by God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to finally God says, okay, I'm decommissioning you. Your tour of duty is done. Time to leave the battlefield and come home to heaven. Amen.